Lord, we do uh, rejoice and praise you that you, in fact, have conquered death all the things associated with it, that we may not only have new life, but that uh, we may, in fact, enjoy the power of resurrection to be be able to live differently. Desire, as has already been prayed, that we would display that resurrection power as we interact, as we deal with the world that we live with, or live in, rather, that we would, in fact, reflect your resurrection power. Today, as we look at the passage that it would not only come alive to us, but we would be able to apply it to our own personal lives. It would be useful and effective as we desire to minister to a lost world. Amen. This morning, Resurrection Sunday, we are going to look at a passage that tells us why Christ had to die, but Death could not contain him because he is God himself, so he rose from the dead. And his death and resurrection are the means by which we have a relationship with the Father. All those that don't have a relationship are locked in to uh, Romans chapter 1. So let's take a look at that passage this morning. I've got verses 24 through 32. We won't get through all of those verses in detail, but I'd like to touch on all of them at least. And just a reminder of the total context here. We're in the last part of this broader paragraph or two paragraph. Man is under God's wrath because of sin, because we are unrighteous. We don't have a relationship. We're lost. The Bible uses a lot of phrases there. So man is under wrath, and Paul goes into some detail to explain why. Because God has revealed himself, and man has rejected that revelation. That's at the heart of 19 through 23. That rejection has consequences or results. That's in that as well. And in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed, present tense. So the last part of this Chapter 24 to 32 is the rendering of wrath. In other words, how is this wrath revealed and how can you observe it all around you? The wrath of God does not come only in the form of fire and brimstone from, from heaven like over Sodom and Gomorrah. It doesn't only come in the form of water like the Genesis flood. It doesn't only come in the form of war and battle, like over the Canaanites, when God used the Israelites in the conquest. That was a judgment on the Canaanites. It also comes in a present tense form, and this is what this passage is all about. So we're going to look at that and touch on it, and you can visibly observe that wrath, because it's all around us. Quick review of the passage preceding, verses 19 19 through 20, God has revealed himself, actually starting in 18, but 19 particularly, God has made himself known to mankind, a revelation. Man knows that revelation or realizes it, I'm using ours, obviously. So there's a realization and an understanding, that's the emphasis of the passage. Remember all the words that Paul uses for knowledge, for understanding, for knowing, just about seven or eight words in there. 
So man realizes that God does in fact exist, that he's different from idolatrous gods. He's the creator God, the only one true God. Man has a realization of that. Whether he's deceived himself into believing that there is no God or not, every single person on the face of the earth has this revelation and always has since the creation is what the text tells us. So there's a realization of that revelation. So that leaves man responsible. That's verse 20, or at least the end of it. Man is responsible to respond to that revelation. If man responds, this passage doesn't tell us, but if man does respond, other passages tell us that God will give further revelation. It's kind of a biblical principle. And man will receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, that special revelation. God will send a booklet, a pamphlet, a tract, a Bible, a missionary, or whatever it takes to give further revelation to those that respond. Paul is saying, in general, men do not respond to that revelation, and as a result, they are without excuse. They're responsible and without excuse. And what men do is, verse 21, they reject that God. They don't give glory to him. They don't honor him as God. And when that happens, when man rejects that, then uh, they don't necessarily receive the special revelation, although... God is gracious, and many do, but man rejects that revelation. Also in verse 21, he rationalizes it, comes to different conclusions, comes up with alternate theories, alternate ideas that replace God, and what happens is it has an effect or an impact on him. We can call that reprobation. His heart is hardened, his heart is calloused, as Paul says in Ephesians, verse 22, And man can't live without trying to fill that emptiness within him, the emptiness that only the one true God can fill. So man comes up with all kinds of ways to replace the one true God. And it usually takes the form of idolatry. We saw that in verse 23. And idolatry comes in different forms. It can come in the form of greed itself. Colossians says that idolatry is greed, and it's probably more applicable to our culture than a lot of other cultures of the past. So, once man replaces God, then God moves in wrath. The R is the second letter there. (laughs) Not too much of a stretch, right. And that's 24 through 32. And that's what the passage is all about. The present tense sense of God pouring out wrath on mankind. And it's just as dreadful. And we're going to see that in three passages that use the same word. It's just as dreadful that God do what he does in this passage as he pours out fire and brimstone from heaven. So let's take a look at the passage. Another way of phrasing it. Here are the reasons God pours out wrath, reasons for wrath. First, rejection of revelation. Man rejects revelation. That results in rebellious reasoning. In other words, our minds are affected. The mind is darkened. That's in the text as well. That results in ruinous religion, using ours here. 
replacing the one true God for other ideas that are religious, basically, idolatrous. That's ruinous religion. And that results in God's righteous rejection of mankind. That's the wrath. And that's captured in the verse, God gave them over to different things. We'll see that. In fact, we'll look at that word specifically. So, we're looking at the guilt of humanity. So the passage we're looking at is summarized by righteous rejection. God's righteous rejection with the pouring out of wrath. It's righteous. Guilt of humanity, verses 18 through 23. That's why man needs righteousness provided outside of himself. We cannot provide it ourselves. In fact, that's the most common way in our culture. People try to be good to earn God's righteousness, and in no way can he do that. Try to go to church or try to do these religious things. None of that is adequate. You could never do enough. It's got to come from God himself because humanity is guilty and because man has rejected God. And now we're going to look at that rendering of wrath, 24 through 32. And it starts with the first two verses, 24 through 25. It results in God abandoning mankind to physical impurity. In other words, God abandons man. In other words, he no longer seeks those individuals. He stops drawing them to himself. He abandons them. That's wrath. And we'll take a look at that and see how far we can get this morning. So let's take a look at, break that down. And first of all, we have the abandonment at the beginning of verse 24. Therefore, now this is actually a new paragraph following verse 18 to 23. But therefore does what? Whenever you have a therefore, you what? Yeah, why is it there for? (laughs) Or what is it there for? And it's there for the reason that we saw preceding. In other words, all of the things that we've already talked about. The fact that God is revealing wrath, the fact that man is rejected, all of the R's that we've already looked at. Therefore, because of that, now we have this dreadful situation. So we have the therefore. Therefore, God... This is the essence of everything else in this paragraph. First sentence here, and the subject and the verb is kind of repeated throughout, and this is the essence of everything he's going to say there. God gave them over. Now, the gave over is a particular Greek word that is very common, occurs 119 times in the New Testament, and I've looked every single one of them up, categorizing them, and I'll give you a little word study here. The word is used, in fact, it's interesting that the word is used half of the time in relationship to Jesus Christ. In terms of the crucifixion that we celebrated Friday, that Christ died on the cross. But there's several verses. In fact, there's the Greek word, paradidomi, and I've got the English translation there. That word occurs 119 times. And it's used of Judas, and in the context, it's used in the sense of betraying Christ or abandoning Christ to the authorities. It's a betrayal. It's a, at its heart, is a rejection or a abandonment, a casting away 
And I think the word betrayal is appropriate. It's used 31% of all of those 119. So what does that calculate out? Those of you that have a lot. Yeah, very good. Very precise there. So 31%, in fact, I was just struck at how many verses there are that refer to Judas as the one that betrayed him. And it uses paradidomi over and over and over. Now, obviously, you have four Gospels, so it's repeated in some of the passages. But it is used very frequently. In fact, the most frequent usage is is in those contexts. And then, another 19%, it's used of Jesus being handed over to the authorities in order to be crucified. That's the end product there. So it has the idea of to abandon in the sense of to hand over Uh, You could even translate it, arrested. Jesus was handed over to the authorities or arrested by the authority. 19%, that's half of the the usages of that term, if you add the two up, right? 31% plus 19 equals what? 50%. Only four times is it used in the sense that we have in the passage that we've got, and it's used three times. Same term, paradidomi, But in that sense, it doesn't have necessarily the idea of betrayal when it speaks of God. In this context, it speaks of God as the one that is abandoning something in this context. Three times. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. It also it's used 18% in reference to other believers like the disciples in the book of Acts where they're delivered over to authorities Uh, because the governing authorities don't like their preaching of the gospel. So attempts to silence them and promises that they'll be handed over to authorities of the synagogue, etc. So there's 18% of those passages, almost as many as the ones relating to Christ and being handed over to the authorities for crucifixion. And only four times... To give up something or to abandon something in the sense that we have in the passage we're looking at. And what it's saying here is God is giving up or abandoning or turning something over to something else. Handing it over. And we have three particular things that God is doing here. And you can visually see that. We can see that in the culture in which we live in. Now, that doesn't mean that people are necessarily locked in, because as long as men have breath, they can respond to the grace of God and receive Jesus Christ, no matter how far down that road they've gone. And we don't know that point where God ultimately and totally abandons people, but this is what the context is telling us. It's a dreadful thing. So, the first thing is this impurity of the flesh that we want to look at, Mary Lee. Is that similar to shaking off the dust of something? As, as, it's a different uh, word, yes, but it's the same idea. The where the disi- Yes, the disciples are told, you know, once you've given revelation or once you've shared the gospel and you are rejected as a result of sharing the gospel, then you go on to somebody else. But you're supposed to shake the dust of that place off of the stuff. Oh, yeah, it's kind of the sense of you're abandoning them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, same idea, different different word though, different context. Right. Impurity of the flesh, let's take a look at that. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. What does that mean? 
I think what it means is that God allows the flesh to manifest its full depravity. And that'll take a lot of forms. And it depends on the weakness of the individual. In other words, some are inclined in the area of sexual immorality. Some are inclined to excessive use of different things like alcohol, tobacco, etc. Others, it can take the form of excessive greed, where they're even oppressive to people. It takes a different form depending on the weakness of the flesh of the individual. But notice the word lusts. That's just a common word for desires. Now, all of us have desires. They're built in. They're not evil in themselves. In fact, we survive because we have desires. We have desires to nourish ourselves and to function and to be able to survive. That's good. I mean, that's no, there's nothing wrong with that. But the weakness of the flesh takes those desires, perverts them, and they become sometimes excessive or uncontrollable, you might even say. Although, you need to be cautious in using that idea because I think... You know, we always have volition, so we make choices. So the lusts of their heart going to the very depths of our being. And he's speaking of the unbeliever. So at the very innermost part of individuals, they are driven. And the, the desires of their heart drive them in whatever area of weakness that they may find themselves. So impurity are those things that defile, those things that destroy. And some of those things destroy the physical body. And I think that's the emphasis of the first part here. So God abandons people to different things. And in some cases, it manifests itself in addictions where people are locked in. Now, there's a resulting dishonoring in the text. And that's what he's talking about. In other words... Whatever is driving us, you might say, or the unbeliever, it's going to manifest itself in the flesh or in the body. The the word that is used, flesh, there is just the kind of composite of who we are in totality apart from Jesus Christ. Our humanity, you might say, our physical as well, I think, as mental and even emotional part of us. That's the flesh. And in some contexts, some areas are stressed more than others. In some contexts, the physical is stressed. Some areas, the mental. But what makes up basically the old nature apart from what the Bible describes as the new self or the new nature. So that results in dishonoring of that, whether it's being the twisting of the mind or the twisting of the soul and the heart or the twisting of things in the body, dishonoring of that. Now, exactly. So it appeals to the material aspect of who we are. Exactly. And that's Genesis 3, 6. Exactly. Good. You see that in 1 John as well. So there's a resulting dishonoring of the body so that, and this is as a result of God just letting people go their own desires without restraint, without, in other words, they've abandoned God and he's going to let people go as they even desire themselves. So that's a dreadful thing. That's not a good thing. In fact, there's an application to draw here. 
in terms of parents, and some of you, most of you, grandparents, you need to encourage your children, and when you have occasion, you need to discipline them, because if you let them go, what happens? If you let the children just do whatever they desire, they will destroy themselves, or they will set themselves on a path of destruction. And I saw that very vividly. A cousin of mine, just about my age, he died about 20 years ago, and I could see that growing up, where my aunt basically allowed him, made all these excuses for him. You know, the teachers are picking on him, and then as he got older, the cops were picking on him, and later, you know, all these excuses. And she basically undid my uncle's discipline, and you could see that path. He never learned that sin has consequences. He never learned that there's accountability. And he died of cirrhosis of the liver about, I don't remember. Remember how old he was? 45 or something? Yeah, several years ago. That's the path. That's what you can see. And you can see the clear rejection of God because he was always in trouble with the law. He was always in trouble somehow. In jail on occasion. And eventually he died. That's the ultimate dishonoring of the body. It just destroyed him. And he, he was just, the last days, he was living with his parents because he couldn't support himself. And it, you could see the physical effects, just the degeneration of that body and just die that just bloated, ugly mess. That's what we're talking about here. This is what Paul is saying. What God can do is abandon that's wrath. Where in the present time, people experience that abandonment, and that's just as bad as God pouring out fire and brimstone from heaven. They, at this point, you mean, they can still reach. As long as they have breath. Oftentimes, yes. And by the way, our father as well, you never knew him, right? My dad was an alcoholic. He died, he lived a little longer, but he died of the same cirrhosis. So that's what happens. God abandoning, and that's the end product of it. So it manifests itself a lot of times in addiction. You can see it clearly in addictions. And people, like I said, are inclined in different ways. So it manifests itself in different forms. And you can come up with a long list yourself. Alcohol, I've referred to it. That's one way. And it actually biologically has damaging effects such that You have an inward craving that you cannot overcome. Alcoholism. It changes the biology such that now you crave it just like you need food. You you need that fix, if you will. And takes other forms common today, drugs. I don't know if you can read the opioids, but prescription drugs can lead. Those are opioids. A lot of news stories today on that where just everyday people that deal with pain as a result of other issues get hooked on on drugs. This this is consequences. Tobacco, we could make a long list. Sometimes food. We're getting closer to home here, right? (laughs) Pardon me? Oh, yeah, I I need to include vacuuming. Yeah, that's right. Linda's addiction. (laughs) 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 Which one? 
The Pepsi? No. Oh, vacuuming. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a rare one, but I guess it, depending on whatever your inclination is. A roommate in college was addicted to Pepsi. He couldn't get along. In fact, well, that's a long story. I won't tell it, but he nickel and dined me throughout college, and I kept track. That's what you're that's right. That's the wrong that's another issue. And, and Ray, so this all goes back to where 18 where it says all this is a result of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Yes. Well, that's kind of the downward path. Yes. Begins with suppressing the truth and knowledge of God that God has revealed. Yeah. It all hangs together, exactly. So foods, coffee, some are addicted to coffee, Pepsi, gambling. Casinos, that's common in New Mexico. Sex, pornography, that's common. And I understand people are actually addicted. In other words, it's... It's chemical. It's, it's ca- like yeah. you're Yeah, you sound all... You know all about it. I know about it. Yeah. No, and also, Ray, there are addictions like fear, worry, and <laughs> <laughs> they actually have an inner drug. Yeah. inner... Yeah, very good. But I was just reading that you're talking about the addictions to our smartphones. How many likes did you get? How much this? And that how the kids just, especially the younger ones, can suffer huge withdrawals if they don't have their phone. And or I was reading, they said if they're going to be away where they don't have access, they'll have friends. You know. Keeping track of the, the likes or the whatever's that yeah. come. That, that electronic thing is that it does. To your nervous Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'll have to include the electronic addictions and vacuuming yeah, addictions. Yeah. yeah. How about shopping? Yeah. I hear people are kind of compulsive in that area as well. Not you. Some people shoplift for no reason whatsoever. You don't have that problem? I don't have that problem, no. Men, <laughs> Not the shopping. Men, <laughs> <laughs> All right. That results in other things in verse 25. Verse 25, for they exchange. Now, this goes back to what we looked at in 18 through 23. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. In other words, they've rationalized in their thinking that I need these things. And I, you know, I'm compulsive in this, but. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, or I can control it, or I, I, I have a handle on it, or whatever. They exchange the truth of God. In other words, there are consequences to all these things. That's the truth. And God is the giver of all good things. That's the truth for a lie that manifests itself in this excessive behavior, etc., or behavior that ultimately destroys, dishonors the physical body. And they worshipped and served the creature. In other words, once you abandon the creator of all things, now all that is left is the creation, and people worship the creation. Not necessarily bowing down before an idol, but the material realm dominates. In other words, only this world counts. That's a form of worshipping and even serving. And by the way, the word serving there, that word is used in spiritual context, serving in terms of a form of worship. So it's a devotion, you might even say, a servant of devotion 
to whatever it may be, whether it's the acquiring of possessions or money or whatever, or addictions or different forms. So, serving the creature rather than the creator, rather than the one true God. So this just reminds us and reinforces what we talked about in the prior verses. God as creator has revealed himself. In the creation, when that revelation is rejected and replaced, this is the product. God abandons mankind. And then we have a doxology to the creator. In other words, this should be the proper response. Who is blessed forever, the creator is not affected. In other words, no matter what man does with that revelation, God remains blessed forever. Kind of a contrast here. So our rejection of him doesn't take anything away from him, doesn't change anything. He's immutable. He remains blessed. And even in this context, we can praise him and bless him. And therefore, he closes with amen. Make sense? Ooh, we might finish early today. Hmm. No promises yet. Yeah. Now, I just intend, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on these, but... That's the physical impurity. That's the physical abandonment. So it's going to have physical ramifications. Now, he's going to take it to the deeper level in terms of just the whole morality of mankind. And in the case of abandonment, God abandons people to moral degradation. And what Paul portrays here is one of the lowest forms of that moral degradation. In other words, right and wrong in a broad sense. And Paul kind of focuses in on the extreme case. Now, it may not seem extreme to us because we've kind of been desensitized by our culture. But what he's basically saying is that one of the forms that it'll take in terms of morality is the whole homosexual area, and that's what he's dealing with. So verse 26, for this reason, in other words, kind of one step further, one step downward, for this reason God gave them over, you have the same word there, paradidomi, God abandoning mankind to degrading passions. Now you have a stronger idea in terms of drives or in terms of desires, where now your obsession is, in this case, he gives the sexual area. And the lowest of low, and maybe we've even gone beyond that today with other areas as well, he's just going to describe for the women exchange the natural function, in other words, how God has designed women for that which is unnatural. Lesbianism is unnatural. It's not part of God's design. In fact, it's totally contrary to what God has designed in terms of relationships, and particularly sexual relationships. God has designed men for women and women for men, and in that context, it's a God-given gift, the whole sexual area. But we pervert it. And once we've rejected God and exchanged the truth for a lie then what results is whatever we can come up with, whatever we're driven towards, whatever we might be inclined towards, those inclinations, those temptations are not wrong. It's what we do with them and the outcome as a result of that. 
and in some cases it results in homosexuality. Now, I, you know, we can talk a lot about that in terms of what it does. It actually changes the the body as well. In other words, there's theories that the mind is affected, and and a homosexual mind is different. But I don't think people are born that way. That's a common thought today. But I don't want to get too far off. Do you have a comment? Well, um, talk about women. So that almost mm-hmm. like as well. Well, the next verse. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so when you think about natural, unnatural, that kind of the natural have mother and all of that kind of stuff. That was in the end. Right. His lifestyle was all time. Yeah, I think that would be more of a, a valid application that you could draw. But I think he, in this context, he's clearly giving the, the depths and the bottom of the whole moral area, particularly in the sexual area. Well, I've always assumed that, but what are the words? They can be used in a sexual context. They're a little broader than that. But I, I think in the context, I don't have the other verse up on the screen there, but if you read the next verse, and in the same way, in other words... We're talking about the same kinds of areas, the same area, verse 27. The men abandon the natural function. Now, he's using a little euphemism here as well. In other words, he's not explicitly using the explicit sexual words, but the natural function, abandon the natural function of woman and and burned in their desire toward one another, towards other men. And if that's not clear, men with men committing indecent acts, homosexual acts, are indecent, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. There are consequences. It affects the body. It affects people physically. And I think you could include all the, what do you call them, sexually transmitted diseases, and some of them are particular in terms of homosexuality that men particularly have. And medically, there's a lot of statistics, particularly areas like suicide and those things, much higher. Magnitudes higher amongst a homosexual lesbian community than any other group or the general public in general. So it affects the body. And it appears that it has, I don't want to say uh, genetic effects, but uh, it could go all the way. What do you think? Uh, in terms of genetics, does it affect genetics as well? It certainly affects the body. Systemic, overall. Systemic is probably a better word. Well, I, I don't know that I would say it's genetics, but it becomes a controlling these things passed on heredity where you'll see certain patterns certain patterns repeating. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that because... Yeah, but it does affect... And we are influenced not just by genetics, but we're influenced by the environment. So that environment promotes, just like there's a tendency in alcoholic parents for the children to be alcoholics as well. But it's more the environment, not necessarily the the genetics. So I would assume that we would have something like that in that community as well. Oh, here's a nurse. I was asking a microbiologist. I had to ask a nurse. (laughs) Older, older, I'm 18, uh, often praise on and bring them into the day themselves. Right. Destroys the cup. Yeah. Because you agree with it, that's one thing. And John, when you go to bring Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, in our culture, the big issue today is this 
transgender issue. And in the most recent issue of World Magazine, there are two articles that I would recommend. In fact, I sent them to you this morning, and I asked you to read them before class, so I wouldn't have to go over them in detail. But these are excellent articles that go contrary to the thinking and what you hear in the media. In fact, they give a far more, well, I would say a biblical perspective on this whole issue. And I think we as believers need to reach out to these people that are inclined in these areas, particularly the beginning stages, not only warning them, but encouraging them away from these things. These articles not only give some statistics, but give a lot of personal testimony in terms of people that have gone through that. In fact, the second article is nothing more than testimonies on different people sounding the alarm And it just gives the testimonies of these people. The only thing that broke this pattern was coming to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't know if all of them that they give in the articles, but some of them very definitely say that. And all of these went through the whole stages. And they give the stages of uh, children sometimes feeling like a little boy thinking that he'd prefer to be a little girl or vice versa. And then they go through the cross-dressing. In other words, they go into the mother, the little boy takes the mother's clothes and wears them, etc., or hides in the closet and does all that. And then it goes to the next stage. And then the ultimate stage is actually operations, transgender uh, corrections is what, what they call it. In other words, changing the external genitals, etc. And these people that they've interviewed have gone through it all, and the recurring theme is after they've kind of completed their transformation, the problem is not solved. And now they begin to have not only the guilt of what they've done, the guilt of the whole idea, but the regret, because it didn't remove that inward struggle. And there's different things that cause that struggle. You need to deal with that inward. And ultimately, the article says that it's just like any other sin We're just all in rebellion against God. The things that we're talking about in Romans chapter 1. We're just rejecting the one true God and substituting something else. And it appears in different forms. This is one of them. So I'd recommend reading. I sent you the articles this morning. So you can read them. I think they're excellent to hang on to because our culture doesn't tell you this. And if we don't help people overcome these tendencies and even the practices, then this is the path that people will take, and you might be able to interrupt that. And even after transgender operations, people can come to Christ, but they also regret, because one of the individuals, I can't remember if it was a woman or a man, ultimately wanted to be married and have children, but now, because of the operation, couldn't do it. So they're suffering the consequences that continues, but it cannot be reversed. But at least in terms of eternity, they have a saving religious Christ. The analogy that this makes here, go ahead, uh, and I'll give you the analogy. Jenny? Yeah, reassignment, yeah. Yeah, horrible. Right. Yeah, and this article kind of chronicles all that. The analogy that I like that they used is... Because people envision, in other words, 
and starts sometimes young, sometimes it starts later, but starts in young kids. Usually they imagine themselves. In other words, it's, it's more of a mental, psychological thing than a physical. So they imagine themselves as little girls if they're boys, or vice versa, little boys if they're girls. And the analogy that it draws is that people that are anorexic, they imagine themselves as overweight. So they withhold food, but yet biologically, physically, and everything else, what they're doing is they're starving themselves. Even though in their minds they're thinking of themselves as overweight, so they don't eat or they purge or whatever they do. Similarly, some young people, and the article says that sometimes kids just outgrow it, and when they're adults they kind of abandon that whole false idea. But the analogy is, just because somebody imagines themselves as a little boy or envisions themselves or feels inclined in that direction, it's all psychological and it's all mental, and there's some other things that are probably going on that can be reversed and helped with from a spiritual, biblical perspective. And it's nothing more than rebellion against the one true God. And Christ is the only answer. So the analogy is, just because you have these ideas in your head doesn't mean that they are real in your physical body and it obviously you're a little boy you're a little boy obviously in fact one geneticist says that even at the uh, genetic level males are males genetically and females are females genetically our culture doesn't say that our culture says the very opposite our culture pushes this and it's a it's actually a sad thing because you're not giving people the cure to be able to solve the issue. Just like somebody that is uh, anorexic, the solution is not to encourage anorexia because they're destroying themselves. The solution is to try to convince them, you know, you're, you're undernourished and what you need to do is you need to nourish your body. You need to overcome that and rethink what your your mind and your feelings are telling you. The solution is to solve the problem, not encourage the further indulgence in the problem. And that's what our culture is doing. It is pushing this transgender agenda, and it's locking people into these kinds of things. So that's what these passages are talking about here. Betty. And, I'm sorry, comment on word locked. 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 Actually... Jesus only, only Jesus has the key. Christ doesn't yes. 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 And I'm not sure I'm... Correct. I would absolutely agree. Yes. And that's the point. That's why I think these articles are valuable to you and I as Christians to be able to help people overcome these things. And until they breathe their last breath, we need to be ready to present the gospel to them. But this is the point that Paul is making, is this is the end product. He's not saying that there's a hopeless situation here. So that's a good balance. Mary Lee. I was just going to say that this is kind of a concluding thing. Be whatever you want to be. You know, the kids that grow up, well, you can be And uh, whether you're a girl, we'll, we'll make you a girl. You want to do this, we'll right. do this. We'll, we'll just make you whatever you need. That's what our culture is saying, yeah. But, in fact, what we are doing when we go in those directions is we're rebelling against the Creator that created us a certain way. To know our identity in Him. Exactly. And then, we'll just summarize 28-31. to 31. 
The third area that he deals with is mental depravity. In other words, our minds end up twisted. He's talking about the same things that he talked about in uh, 19 through 23, but now he's showing the areas where God abandons men and women so that they go in these directions and essentially destroy themselves. And he gives a long list in here of how it manifests itself. This is the way that you can observe the wrath of God when you see people in these areas. And just verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, notice the recurring little phrase there, they did not acknowledge him, that goes back to the, what what was it, verse 22, 23, God gave them over, third time, same word, paradidomi, God gave them over to a depraved mind, so it affects the mind, not just the body, not just the soul, not just the heart, but now the whole mental outlook is distorted. And that mind drives people in different areas as well. To do those things which are not proper. In other words, there are standards, there are rights and wrongs, there are absolutes. God has revealed them, and now we're going in the opposite direction, those things that are not proper. And we won't read the rest of the verses, but you see them manifested in all of these areas. And then we have the indictment, verse 32. And although they know the ordinances of God, in other words, God has built within man a sense of right and wrong in conscience. Man knows the unbeliever has a sense of absolute even though they know the ordinance of God. See the repeating theme throughout here, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They have a sense of judgment. They have a sense of God's accountability, accountability to God. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. The culture encourages these things. Hardened approval of these things that destroy. Juliet. I've
wants to close with. I think that, that point illustrates Romans chapter 7. Yes. Yep. He's going to go over some of these things in Romans chapter 7. Very good. But that's about three or five or six years from now. <laughs> Who wants to close horse? Yes. Bill? Father God, thank you for your scriptures. Revealing who you are and how you function. There's a great for this time thing through Romans. We pray for these lessons to change us and send us out very free. Amen.